Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Jesus did. Um, just to start off, I guess I want to share some thoughts about, as you guys know, the, the revelation of Jesus and who he is and what he did is not just information. You know, it's not like something you can just learn and, and like you would learn math or history and that kind of thing. And it's, it's very, very important to, I think, for us to always prepare ourselves when we're hearing um, things concerning Jesus to, to be aware that this must be revealed by the Holy Spirit, that it's not something we can just, you know, kind of depend on our minds to grasp. The Scripture says that the things of the Spirit are foolishness to the natural mind. Um, so if the natural mind tries to comprehend these things with no dependence on the Spirit, we're not going to get it, and we'll be frustrated, and we'll try to, you know, try to figure out things, and it's beyond figuring out <laughs> It's beyond, uh, the scripture says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of God, I mean, mind of man, nor has it entered into the mind of man what God has done. So if eye has never seen it, ear has never heard it, mind has never even thought about it, that's why the next verse says, but the spirit has been given to us that we might know the things that are freely given to us. The scripture says, who can know the thoughts of God but the Spirit of God? So only through the Spirit of God can we even begin to comprehend what Jesus did, who Jesus is, and who we are now in him. So, so that's just the first thing I want to share. It's just so important that we have that posture of dependence on the Spirit to, to teach us. Um, as the scripture says, who can know these things but the Spirit of God? And the Spirit then teaches us. And one of the one of the ways to receive, I believe, from the Spirit, one of the key ways to, to see the unseen reality of Christ, um, the way to see is to simply believe that Jesus has completely removed our sin. Believe it or not, and I know you believe it, but this is an awesome key to seeing. When Jesus died on the cross... As the song said, as Craig sang, the veil rent, the veil hides what is behind it. And when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. Our faith in the simple work of Christ, the blood of Christ to remove all our sins is one of the key things to seeing. That's why the unbeliever really can't see heavenly things because they haven't yet received that forgiveness of sin. But, and even the Christian sometimes has trouble believing they're really forgiven, that God really is not counting our sins against us anymore. As the Scripture says, God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting our sins against us anymore. So that is so key that we don't 
forget the simple truth of that because that opens your spirit up when you really remember, as Jesus said, remember, eat the bread and drink the wine in remembrance of me for this is, this is the covenant meal to remind you that your sins are forgiven. And so as we remember these things, there's something supernatural happens on the inside of us that opens our spirit to unseen realities. Uh, even Peter said that a, a brother who's not bearing fruit in his life, Peter says, has forgotten. He's, he has forgotten that he was once purged from all his sin. Awesome statement. He said, Peter says, some of you are nearsighted or blind even because you have forgotten that you were once purged from all your sins. Still a brother, still a brother in Christ, but he's not you know, bearing fruit and there's not the power of God in his life. Peter does not say, oh, he must have unconfessed sin in his life. No, that's the typical response of religion, but that's not the issue of unconfessed sin. The issue is he's forgotten that he was once purged of all those sins. Awesome statement by the apostle. So the nearsightedness and the blindness will go away as that brother believes again, not believes again, but remembers what he believed, that he has been totally cleansed of all his sin. And then the seeing, Paul refers, I mean, Peter refers to nearsightedness and blindness in a believer's life because he simply has forgotten that his sins have been purged. Then that opens up again the eyes so we can see again. Isn't that cool? So it's just so simple, and that's why the Lord had us have the covenant meal to constantly remind us because the enemy is always accusing you always people are always accusing you your your own conscience will accuse you and you'll think i'm not worthy enough i'm not good enough i failed here i failed altered here whatever and the spirit wants to remind us continually continually as craig sang in the song that he forgave us not just for our past but for our future no sin will ever be held against the believer again period that's an awesome, awesome good news, gospel. I mean, you talk about liberty and freedom. Your future sins have already been atoned for. All of us weren't even alive when Jesus died. Our whole life was future. And just to, just to ponder on that reality that your sins, my sins, have all been atoned for, all been forgiven before we even commit them. This is a great mystery, but this is God's wisdom and God's way. The natural man says, oh, you can't do that. You can't release people from accountability. You know, you got to hold them accountable. And God says, yes, I can. In fact, that's the secret. The secret is to release you from the condemnation that works through the flesh. For there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus now. So we can rest in this reality because the secret of God. See, if you just had forgiveness of sin and nothing else, then yeah, that wouldn't make sense. Because if you just release accountability, that, that'd be like releasing the accountability of the fallen world. That's why the law is good and needed in a fallen world, to hold them accountable, that they might fear, that they may not do evil and hurt people. So you need the law, but the law is not for the righteous, it's for the unrighteous. You know, I'm an attorney. God has an attorney preaching the gospel of grace. I say, I say to people, I practice law, but I preach grace. But, but, you know, I think it's God's humor in a way because um, you can't accuse me of being antinomian. I'm a lawyer for crying out loud. Antinomian is a term that people throw at grace preachers sometimes that say, oh, they just believe you can live any way you want to live and be lawless and whatever. No, of course, the law is needed in a fallen world. But once we leave the fallen world by this awesome miracle of new birth, new creation, 
then we no, longer, we no longer live by law, we live by his life. And his life will manifest in a walk of love that fulfills all law. It's, it's genius. So that we walk in his love and there's no law against love. So anyway, so it's just really cool to see that, that seeing is tied to this remembering that we're forgiven. So it's, that's just really cool. And then also... Um, it's just, it's just good to, to, to admit to ourselves that we don't see everything. Because, you know, even Paul said, um, if a man thinks he sees something, tell him he doesn't see anything like he needs to see it. And that's the apostle talking. So we should have a, that, take that posture of humility and always say, Lord, I am, I am blind. Teach me to see. Because we are blind in, in, in some ways um, because we don't see it all. And, and it's very true what Walt and Craig were talking about at breakfast that we will never see it fully until we leave these bodies. The Scripture says through, as long as we're in these bodies, we see through a glass darkly, we prophesy in part, we hear in part, we see in part. But the moment we leave these bodies, the Scripture says, we shall know all things even as we are known immediately. So there's a hindrance walking in the body, but that's part of the journey, the journey of faith the journey of the renewal of the mind, because there is a process in the Christian life. It's just not a process of becoming more and more righteous. It's not a process of becoming more and more holy. It's not a process of becoming more and more worthy of, to be called the son, a son or daughter of God. It's not a process of becoming more and more fit for heaven. The process is not any of those things. The process is a gradual dawning of an awakening of what is. It's the rising of the sun. Uh, it's like I see the Christian life as, as, you know, you're on this island and you're trying to get to this other island and you fall asleep on this island, you wake up on this other island, but it's dark and you don't know that you're on the new island. You figure you're still on the same old island. You wake up on that new island and the sun begins to rise and you gradually begin to look around you and see where you are. That's the Christian life. You begin to see where you are, you didn't gradually swim to that new island. It was a miracle. You were moved from one place to another place in a moment, but you didn't fully understand where you were, how you got there necessarily. But, and that's the journey. The process of the Christian life is, is enjoying the light. The, the, the light shines brighter and brighter into the perfect day when we begin to see and really fully understand, and we help others see at what we're seeing just, it's just phenomenal. I want to share something. Having said all that, um, I'm going to share something really amazing that Jesus did. And, and we'll go from there and talk about it. But this, this is really cool. I mean, it's beyond cool. I mean, it's huge. When Jesus came to earth, his first words were, the kingdom of heaven has come. It's within reach. It is at hand. It is near. All the prophets talked about the kingdom of heaven or this reality with God as some future event that was coming. And they saw it coming. The prophet said it would come after a purging of the earth, a purging of the world, fire and purging. And after that purging, then the kingdom of God would be established the prophets didn't realize how that purging would take place. 
They had no, no idea that the purging would take place by the blood of the Son of God. They had no idea. They had pictures and shadows of it, but they had no concept. So when the Son of God appeared and was proclaiming the kingdom was about to appear, then John the Baptist immediately thought, well, judgment is coming because that's what the prophets taught us. There's going to be a purging. There's going to be a fire. There's going to be, this, this is the day of the Lord. We're going to clean this earth up, and the kingdom of heaven will be established. And that's how John saw it. He didn't fully understand what was going on. And even when they arrested John, you know, John said, are you the one or should we look for another? I don't see any purging. I don't see any judgment. I don't, you're healing the sick. You're forgiving the sins. You're forgiving the sins. You're bringing joy to people. Where is the purging? Are you the one or should we look for another, John said. He had no idea what was coming. And Jesus said, tell John that the lame walk and the blind see. And blessed is he who is not offended in the Son of God, offended in the grace that God was about to pour out. He was quoting Scripture to John so he would know he was the one. So anyway, so when Jesus came and announced this, this kingdom that was coming, that was at hand. In essence, what he was saying, saints, is that heaven was coming to man. Man could not get to heaven on his own. So God sent heaven to man. What, is, what do I mean by that? I mean that God, Jesus was bringing to us another reality that we could live in while we walk the earth. And when our bodies die, we would enter fully into that new reality, which is heaven. But he was bringing the, uh, the heavenly reality to men so you could enjoy heaven on earth. He said that kingdom of heaven is not coming like men think. It shall be within you. In other words, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have hard times. You're going to have people resist you. You're going to have people come after you. It's not that the, it's not that the world around you is going to be heavenly. It's the world within you is going to be heavenly. In the world, you shall have tribulation and hard times and trouble, but I'm coming to bring you another reality that you can live in within. So powerful a reality within by the Spirit that that, will, that reality will manifest itself in this fallen world and it will be a bright light no matter what you're going through as a witness to another reality. What is this other reality he was bringing? It was, it was heaven. It was, it was a, in heaven, God is your daddy. That's the reality within you now. In heaven, you're righteous. There is no sin in heaven. That's the reality you have now. In heaven, there's no separation between you and God. That's the reality you and I have now within. The spirit of God is within us. Paul says the kingdom of heaven is in the spirit righteousness and peace and joy in the spirit. Jesus has actually brought us to his reality so that we can live in, inwardly where he is, seated with him in heavenly places, and he living where we are in our day-to-day -day life. Now, this seems, this seems like too, too wild, but it gets worse. He, in order for us to enter this kingdom this reality, to see it, he said, you must be born of the Spirit. You must be born again, or you cannot see the kingdom. You cannot enter the kingdom. You cannot experience this other reality. The natural man cannot see it, cannot understand it, cannot enter it. 
So what he did was he, and this is, this is the thing that is, this is the thing now that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, no one, no one understood this was ever going to happen, but the Spirit will reveal it to us. Then what he did was, after manifesting this invisible reality that was in him, as the sick were healed and as demons were cast out and as sins were forgiven, and he sent out the 70 to do the same, and they said, if they reject you, just go to the next city, but tell them this, the kingdom of heaven came close to you today. This other reality came close to you because he, had, he gave them delegated authority. They did not have the kingdom within them yet. They did not have the spirit within them yet. Only Jesus had the fullness of the spirit within him. He, did, he gave them delegated authority to go out and pre- preach and proclaim. That's why they were fighting about who's the greatest and, and excited about the demons being subject to them in his name because they were very fleshly. They're fleshly men who had the delegated authority of God. But that's okay. God did it, you know, to teach them, you know. And, 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 and he said, you know, the truth is in you, among you, but it shall be in you. Shall be in you, not yet, though, until he accomplished his work. So what did he do? Jesus actually was sent to end the human race. To end it. To completely blot out all flesh, to completely terminate the Adamic race. This is huge. It doesn't get any bigger than this. He came to end all who came from Adam. He came as a new Adam, the last Adam, Paul said, the last Adam. There will not be another to begin a new race. Huge. The new creation of God is so awesome. God literally ended our life on the cross of Christ. All flesh was blotted out at the cross. Jesus said, going to the cross, he says, now is the judgment of this world. There it is, John. There it is, John. There it is, whatever all the prophets said was going to come. Jesus said, as he was going to the cross in Jerusalem, now is the judgment of this world, and not just those who lived at that time. For Hebrews says he offered himself up by the eternal spirit outside of time and space and took upon himself the sins of the world that all sins for all men for all time would be reconciled. Great, great mystery. He ended all that was. He is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. His work encompasses everything that came from the beginning to now and the future. All that is of the natural, all that is of this creation has been terminated by Him. The last Adam then... was buried. The burial speaks of a separation. The death actually releases us from all law. That's what releases us from law, is the death of Christ. But it's the resurrection of Christ that releases us from the flesh. The resurrection of Jesus literally 
caused a new creation to come forth. The resurrection of Jesus, more than anything, was an act of creation. God created in Christ Jesus the new race. He is the last Adam, the beginning of a new heavenly spiritual race of people that would be born from above and be no more from below, Jesus said, but from above. No more of the Adamic race below, but from the new Adam, the last Adam, from above, even the Lord himself. For the first Adam was a living soul, but the last Adam is a quickening, life-giving spirit so that the life-giving spirit of the last Adam actually reproduces himself in those who believe, raising us up from the dead that we might live in union with him and thereby enter into a new reality, his reality, the kingdom of heaven. Glad news of the kingdom of heaven that every man in earth, every man and woman and child on this earth can now walk into another reality if they would but believe him. For in him we have been translated, past tense, have been translated from the kingdom of this darkness, this fallen world, into the kingdom of the beloved Son now. This is the dawning that's happening within you. This is the process of the Christian life. This gradual dawning of what has happened. You are from above. You are no longer from below. You are called the sons and daughters of God. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You sit with Him in heavenly places. You are His child. You are His heir. But He left the new man inside the body of the old creation. He left the new person inside the body of the former creation. Therefore, Paul says, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit's alive because of righteousness. The outer man is decaying day by day as we get older and older, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. This is awesome. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves as we live in dependence on him who lives within us. As he lived by the Father, so we now live by him, Jesus said, in a complete dependence. As the Son said, apart from the Father, I can do nothing. And now in Christ we say, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. And that's what Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But now we live in this union where he lives his own life through us. And as our eyes are being opened to this new reality, we begin to really understand just how close God is. Father, that they may be one as we are one. John 17, I in you, Father, you in me, that they may be in me and I in them, one. This is not talking about ecumenical, denominational harmony. People take John 17 and teach, see, Jesus wants all the churches to come together and be one. No. When he prayed this prayer before he went to the cross, there were no denominations. He's not addressing some, some issue like that. He's very clearly defining his own terms in John 17. He says, when I say one, he says, as we are one, Father. And then he, des he defines his own terms. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, I pray that they would be one with me, I in them, and they in me. It's very clear. It's 
vertical oneness he's talking about, not this. This comes automatically when you have this. When the, when the orchestra is tuned to the, to the tuning fork and all the instruments get the right tune this way, they're all in tune this way. So it's not a matter of this kind of union he's talking about. That will come as a fruit. But he's talking about this union that has come. John said this. He said, as Jesus is, so are you now in this world. That, those last three words are awesome. As Jesus is, so are you now in this world. Not just when you die, when our bodies die and we go to heaven, but as he is, so are you now in this world. You see why this is a spiritual revelation? Because, you know, we see all our flaws and our weaknesses and our, our temptations. We see with our natural eyes, you know, we feel like, you know, how can that be? Like the song, how can that be? How can these things be? If your Christianity doesn't, if your Christianity doesn't make you say, how can these things be? It's, you're probably missing it. Great is the mystery of your godliness, Paul says. Great is the mystery of your godliness. It's a great, great mystery. But the Spirit has been given to open our eyes to these realities, the simplicity of it. It's not complicated. It's just so dang hard to believe. It's very simple, but it's profound. It's so profound. It's like, oh, my God. I'm really a new person within an old body? Yes, I'm really, I really have a new heart, yes? You know, Jesus said this. He said, unless a man is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Can't go into this new reality. Water, Spirit. What he was doing was quoting Ezekiel. Ezekiel said that the Lord is going to come and wash us with pure water. It's a prophecy of Ezekiel. The Lord shall come and wash us with pure water, and then he will give us a new heart and, his, and put his spirit within us. That was the promise of Ezekiel that, that was foreshadowing the coming of the new covenant. So Jesus, Jesus is quoting Ezekiel when he says, you must be born of water and of the spirit. What does that mean? It means everybody must be washed first. Before he can raise a new creation, the old creation must be reconciled, must be atoned for. There must be a purging of the old creation, which John thought was going to come with fire and destruction, but it came on a cross. It came on a tree. And so those who believe on him are washed, as Ephesians says. He gave himself for her, Ephesians 5. He gave himself for her. that she might be washed by this word. This word, what word? The word that he gave himself for her, the gospel, that she might be washed, that she might be joined to him, a new creation, bride and bridegroom. So those who are born of water and of the Spirit speaks of this washing and this new life that comes through Christ. Isn't that awesome? So we walk now on this planet in these bodies, Paul said, as a completely new person, having been born anew, created new, but we still have the body. What did God do with sin? And, and why do we still sin? I mean, how does that work? Well, this is awesome what God did. And again, only God could do this. When he 
purged us of all our sins. As Hebrews says, having purged us of all our sins, he sat down on the right hand of God, Hebrews first chapter. When God did that, and when he raised a new man, a new creation, for the scripture says, our God raises the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's the nature of this, or this work. The nature of the new covenant is a God who raises the dead and calls into being that which does not exist, an act of creation. So what God did was when he raised us up from the dead, he circumcised us. This is why circumcision was such a big deal in the Abrahamic covenant. Do you realize Genesis 17 gives you the conditions of being in the Abrahamic covenant? Genesis 17 says the only condition to be in the Abrahamic covenant and therefore be a recipient of the blessing of Abraham is, to have, is to be, for the male to be circumcised. That's it. That's the only requirement. God says, if you circumcise, the male that is circumcised is in, is in my covenant, and the female who is joined to that male is in the covenant also by virtue of the male circumcision. If you do not circumcise the male, then they are not in my covenant. You have broken my covenant. Genesis 17. So the only condition for the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. Why was that such a big deal? Because that's a picture, just a picture, just a picture of the true circumcision that was coming. Colossians says, by the death of Christ, by the crucifixion of Christ, God with his own hand, not with men's hands, God's own hand cut away the body of the flesh. The real, true circumcision took place when you believed on Jesus because of his death, his crucifixion allows your flesh to be cut away from your inner man. Because you pass through judgment when you put your faith in Christ. So his, by the body of Christ on the tree, your body can be cut away from your inner man. Great mystery is this, all written in the scriptures, all for us to read and receive. God's hand cut away the body of the flesh, Colossians says, and raised the inner man from the dead, soul and spirit. Soul and spirit was raised from the dead. A new person was raised. Now what he did was God quarantined the power of sin in our bodies. He left the power of sin in our bodies. This is apostolic teaching. This is the revelation that Paul was given and the other apostles teach it. Even James. James says it is sin in our members that wars against the soul, the new soul. And Paul, of course, was the most detailed in this revelation that we have the power of sin now working in our bodies, in our members, warring against the new man within. And that law actually stimulates this mystery of iniquity that is still in your flesh. Why? Because law is not of faith. Law says you must do in order to be, to do in order to get do good things and get God's love. All of that is law thinking. It's not a faith. It actually stimulates the power of sin that is in your bodies. You can walk with God for 50 years and find yourself doing the same sins you used to do when you first became a believer, and you wonder, what happened to me? I mean, I was walking with God for 50 years. Why am I still? Because, saints, the power of sin will be in your body till you put off the body. The power of sin remains in your flesh. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. We wait. We groan. We groan for the redemption of the body. 
But we don't live in the bondage of the sin that works through our body anymore because the spirit of life can put to death the deeds of the body. Romans 8. This is not taught like it should be taught. No wonder we have a hard time seeing the new creation. Because we see our sin as us. We see our our, uh, mistakes and failures as us. How can I be a new creation when I act like this? Paul said it in Romans 7, the very thing I hate, I end up doing. The very thing I want to do, I don't do. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? He said, I learned through all of this. God revealed to me what's going on. He said, I was trying as a Christian, Romans 7, I was trying as a Christian to serve the law of God. But every time in my mind, trying to serve the law of God, the, the law of God in my mind, every time I try to serve the law of God in my mind, you know, knowing what's right, knowing what's wrong, and trying to do what's right, knowing that it's wrong to covet, trying not to covet, serving the law of God in my mind, I found another power working within me. The power of sin in my members, in my body, working against my mind against my inner man. I joyfully concur in all that God says I should do, but I find myself doing the very thing I hate. I, God revealed to me it's the power of sin in the body, in the flesh, bringing me into captivity every time, a prisoner every time. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? This is not widely taught in the body of Christ, and it's in everybody's Bible. We read past these verses about sin in our members and, you know, sin warring against the soul in our members or the power of sin in our body that wars against the mind, and we, we just kind of read over it, and we go, I don't understand that. Just, let's just get to where we need to, what, what, what does God expect of me? Give me the rules so I can keep them, you know. But you'll never, we'll never have the freedom and the power that has been purchased for us if we don't listen to the apostolic teaching. This is, this is written down for us to, to grasp. The Spirit will reveal to us this reality. It's the only way to get past our failures and sins is to realize that that's not you. Scripture says that the person who is born of God has the seed of God within them, and they cannot sin. First John, we just kind of repass that real fast. I don't understand that, just repass that. The seed of God abides within the new creation and they cannot sin. Saints, if you could sin, as a, as a new creation, if you could sin, we would need another Savior, another sacrifice. He so fixed this, it's better than Adam had in the garden. It's better than Adam could forfeit his innocence. We can't. He fixed this. The Scripture says in the Old Testament, I will circumcise their heart that they will love the Lord their God. The circumcision causes us now to only love Him by by being made a partaker of the divine nature in this new creation. It's a great mystery, I know. But He kept our weakness in our flesh that we would depend on Him. Just like when he brought Israel to the promised land, the land filled with milk and honey, a picture of Christ. He said, I'm going to leave some of the enemies in the land so you'll depend on me. He left some enemies in your land. He left some enemies in my land. 
that I might depend on him. The land filled with milk and honey. Christ's life that I might depend on him. Paul says, I learned, I had this thorn in my flesh that was bothering me and I kept praying over and over again. And the, the, the scripture says he prayed three times, but in the Greek it, it actually means over and over again, not just three times. He prayed over and over again about, Lord, take this thorn out of my flesh, this, this flesh that keeps buffeting me. And the Lord showed him that my grace is more than sufficient for all your failures. My grace covers all your failures, all your weaknesses, every attack of the enemy. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And then Paul said, wow. And then the Lord showed him, when you are weak, then my strength can live through you. When you depend on me, Paul, the power of Christ rests upon you. Walk with a limp, Paul, like Jacob. Walk with a limp in dependence on me, and I will manifest the 12 sons of Israel through you. The names of the 12 sons, which is your heritage, shall come forth from your life as you walk, as you walk with God with a limp in dependence on him. And then Paul said, my God, my God, I, I see it. I will boast in my weaknesses. Dang it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be glad I have, depend, have to depend on God. I will boast in my weaknesses and my infirmities and my troubles and all this stuff that's coming after me. I will boast that the power of Christ might rest upon me. The genius of God. You know, you may ask, why didn't he just take us to heaven? You know, why do we have to stay in these old bodies? Why does the new man have to stay in these old bodies with the power of sin always nagging at our heels? Why do we have to learn how to walk in the Spirit so we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh? By the way, that's why they call it the flesh, because it's related to the body. When you walk in the flesh, it's a reference to the power of sin in the body. So why didn't, it, why didn't God just take us home when we first believed? The reason why is because, well, there's several reasons, but one big reason is that he wants us to be his witnesses. We are to be his witnesses to the fallen world of this new reality. He said, you shall be my witnesses. The Spirit of God shall give you power, and you shall be my witnesses. Tell them. Tell them that they're forgiven. Tell them that I have forgiven them. Tell them that they can enter into a new life. Tell them they can be given a new heart. Tell them they can learn the things of God and walk in a way that they never deemed possible or never thought possible. Tell them. And then in the fullness of time, when our, when our time on earth to be his witness is over, then he'll take us home and the body will die. And absent from the body, will be present with the Lord immediately. You know, some people say that, some, some people say, because they, they don't really understand, I believe, the new creation teaching, they'll say that your spirit is saved your soul is being saved, and your body will be saved. Very common teaching in the body of Christ, which muddies, muddies the truth about the new creation. God is not working on your soul. God is not working on your soul to make you fit for heaven. 
We even sing songs like, he saved my soul. He saved my soul. Well, is it true or not? Stop singing that song if you don't believe it. He saved my soul. Well, yeah, he did. That's exactly right. He saved the inner man. God saved the inner man, spirit and soul. They are distinguishable, but they are inseparable. Spirit and soul are distinguishable, but they are inseparable. God always talks in terms of the outer man and the inner man. The outer man is dying and decaying, the physical. The inner man is being renewed day by day. The body is dead because of sin. The spirit is alive because of righteousness. In the same way that when Adam, life was given to Adam in the beginning, and God breathed into Adam, he became a living soul. They're, young, they're, young, they're one living soul. That speaks of spirit and soul together. Adam became a living soul. And in the same way, the last Adam, the quickening spirit of Christ himself giving life to us who believe, has made us, again, a living soul. You're a living soul, a living person, this time with eternal life and a work that cannot be reversed. It's awesome. One thing very important to look at, saints, is look at where God cut when he, when he circumcised us. Look at where he cut. This is key. Colossians says when God circumcised us, he cut away the body of the flesh. He did not cut between the spirit and the soul. He did not separate the soul from the spirit. Why was he cutting? He was cutting to separate sin from us. Sin. So if that teaching is true that we're saved in our spirit, but we're not quite perfect yet in our soul, then God cut at the wrong place. We still have sin in the soul because he cut at the flesh. He cut at the body. He cut away the body of the flesh. The new man is spirit and soul together. See that? Does that make sense? And I know some people may be, may be thinking, you know, this sounds so good. You know, this, yeah, it sounds good. It sounds like good theory and all. But I mean, how about my daily life? I mean, how do I how do I live this out in my daily life? You know, when I how can I not only see this, but how does it translate into changing my life well first of all it really helps me to just see this because then I realize that I am righteous I'm perfect I'm complete in him just like the scripture says regardless of what I may do or think and what's happening see the mind is being renewed to a revelation of who Jesus is because we've been created new in his image. And so the scripture says, as we behold him, as we see him, as we come to see him and know him, we see ourselves. That's why Paul says, when we look at the glory of God in the face of Jesus, it's like looking in a mirror. That's awesome. Paul says, when you look at the glory of Jesus, it's like looking in a mirror, you're looking at yourself. Perfect, complete. So what Paul taught was that when we cease to live in this place of dependency with our mind set on the things of the Spirit, and what are the things of the Spirit? These are the things of the Spirit we're talking about right here. The mystery of our own death, 
the mystery of our own resurrection, the mystery of the new creation, the mystery of this, this spiritual circumcision, the mystery, the, the awesomeness of God's love for us, that he's our papa, we call him Abba, that we're his sons and daughters. These are the things of the spirit. This is the new reality we live in now, the kingdom of heaven. When our, mind are set, when our minds are set on the things of the spirit, there's life and there's peace flowing from us. Mighty rivers of living water will flow from us, Jesus said, and put to death the deeds of the body. It short circuits the power of sin that's in our flesh. It short circuits it. It's the life. Only the life can do this. Because Paul said, I was trying to serve God. I mean, I was trying to serve the law of God with my mind, but the power of sin in the body always took him captive. He realized that he was not supposed to serve the law of God anymore. Romans, the beginning of Romans, he says, we no longer serve after the letter of the law, but in the newness of the Spirit. Paul was trying to serve the law of God. And when you try to serve the law of God in your mind through mere knowledge of what's right and what's wrong, the power of sin in the body will take you captive every time. So Paul learned in Romans 8, no, it's not me serving the law of God in my mind. It is the law of the spirit of life in my spirit, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that will set me free from the law of sin and death that works in my body. So what is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? It's this revelation that we have really been translated, that we really are new in him, that we really are his sons and daughters. This is what we feed on now. Our eyes are being opened in this new island as the sun rises. And as we see, we find a corresponding power that begins to work in us that we can't explain, that no flesh can glory in his presence. This is not a formula, that if you can work the formula, you can get free. It's not a formula. It's a revelation of him. It's a revelation of him that, that you you can, you'll end up saying, I don't know. Like the guy that was made, that was blind, that was made to see. He says, I don't know. I just know that I was once, I was blind, and now I see. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a mystery. And it doesn't take a lot of education or any education. It doesn't take a lot of money. It doesn't, it, it's for all people, the, to the least, to the greatest, all they need to do is believe. It's awesome. It's God's way. And the reason why sin stimulates, or the reason why the law stimulates sin in the flesh is because the law is not of faith. So the moment you take in any kind of thinking that says, I've got to do this in order to get God to love me more, or I've got to do this in order to be righteous, or I've got to do this in order to be good, all those things are contrary to the truth. And they're not of faith because it's causing, it's telling you, your mind is thinking, I've got to do in order to get or do in order to be. When you begin to think like that, the life is quenched. The life is quenched. See, what, what releases the, the spring of life in your innermost being? Jesus said, he who believes on me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. When you stand firmly in faith, and not depend on your works for, God, for your righteousness and for God's life and for God's love, a great mystery takes place. A bubbling up begins to take place within that cannot be explained. Rivers of living water can flow, but as the moment we try to live by law or serve the law of God, then there's, there's something in this mystery of iniquity that's in your flesh. It came from the garden. They took it into their body, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They took into their body the, the angelic deception 
That's why Paul says in Romans 7, sin deceived me. Sin deceived me. You have within your physical body the power of sin that is ready and wanting to deceive you. You have in your physical body the power of sin. It is not an entity. It's not a demon. It's, not a, it's just the power of sin. The Scripture calls it the mystery of iniquity. It is in your flesh, and it seeks to deceive you when you adopt the view that I need to do in order to be. And what happens with this mystery of iniquity, it will rise up in you. And what is the deception of the Garden of Eden? What did they take within their body? What did they take? The deception of the, angel, of, the, of the fallen angel was you don't need God if you knew what he knew, you could do it. You don't need God. He, won't, he doesn't want you to eat of this tree because then he, you'll be like him. He's hiding this from you. You don't need him. If you knew what he knew, you could do the same thing. See, the teaching that says the, the deception in the garden was that they wanted, to be like, they wanted to be like God, that's not really the deception because they were made in God's image. God wanted them to be like him. The deception is not wanting to be like God. Paul, I mean, David said, I will rejoice when I awake in thy likeness. God wants us to be like him. He made us like him. No, the deception in the garden is not that they wanted to be like God. The deception in the garden that your father and your mother, Adam and Eve, ate and took into their body that passed on to you and is in your body today is the deception that says you can be like God without God. That is the heart of the mystery of iniquity. As the angel, fallen angel says, I will ascend to the Most High. I will be like the Most High. I will, I will. Five times the fallen angel says, I will. The Son of God comes with the divine nature and says, apart from the Father, I can do nothing. Every word I speak is from my Father within. Every miracle you see is from my Father within. I can do nothing without my Father. There's the contrast. The fallen angel says, you don't need God. You can do it. Jesus says, I can't do anything without God, without my Father within me. That is the nature that you have within you. You have the divine nature that automatically is wired to live in dependence on the Lord Himself. Isn't that awesome? So every time we, we try to live by law, we are leaving our true nature. It stimulates the power of sin in the flesh and causes us to fail, utterly fail. Because Paul said, I tried to not covet, and all manner of covetousness arose in me. Because he was not walking by faith, and living by the life of Christ. So what develops in us as, as believers is we behold the Son. That's why the Gospels are written the way they're written. They're not written like a, a seminary treatise. It's not written like a systematic theology book. You know, let's discuss angels, let's discuss heaven, let's discuss grace, let's discuss faith, let's... You know. It's not written like a systematic theologian would write it. The four Gospels are mere, mere eyewitness accounts of Jesus himself. 
walking among men, living by the Father. He modeled for us how to live by the Father. He modeled for us how to live by the Father. And he said, as I live by the Father, now you will live by me. Only possible now because of his death and resurrection. Because he totally terminated the old race and brought a new creation into being. Jesus said this once. He said, if you keep following me, if you won't give up, even though you don't understand everything, Peter, if you'll keep following me, you will come to know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Imagine a day, maybe next year, when it will really dawn on us that we are the sons of God living in the old body of a former creation, renewed every day by a life not my own, in union with the Creator Himself. For the earth groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. The earth desires to see you manifest who you are. That men may see your good works. Let your light so shine, Jesus said. You will, you, we were once in darkness. We once were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Therefore, let your light so shine that men may see your good works, may see your acts of love and mercy and glorify your Father in heaven. They'll recognize you. These are the sons of God. Outwardly, they look the same, same body, same body aging like all of us. We're all aging, but there's something different about him, something different about her. New creation, no longer from below, but from above with a new name, a new entity, a new person, new person. There's so many things to say, of course. But this is just phenomenal, what God did. I mean, it's phenomenal. And thank God the apostles wrote it down, or we would doubt ourselves. I mean, if it wasn't written down and the Spirit showed you this, we'd think you were crazy. People would think we're crazy, you know, but we, we have a scripture we can turn to. And say, Look, this is not crazy. This is what the apostles taught. This is what they saw. This is what Jesus revealed to them. I mean, God, this thing was huge. He's talking atoms here. Old Adam, new Adam. We're talking about an entirely new race. He's talking about a new heart. Now when you go back and read, when you get a chance, go back and read Romans 7. And now read it in light of this and see that there's a whole new person that lives in an old body. And that the power of sin in the old body still causes static interference with the new man. As James says, the power of sin in our members wars against the soul, the new soul. And see how Paul said in Romans 8 to get free of that as we all are learning how to walk more in the spirit, not in the flesh, as our mind is set 
like a mindset. We talk about mindsets. We need to have a mindset. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We, Paul says, if, you've been, if you have died, if you have died and been raised again, set your mind on things above, on that heavenly reality. See, that's, that's what Paul is telling us to do, to remind each other. And that's what church is primarily all about. Church is primarily about encouraging each other to see Christ and who we are in Christ. Paul says, no, no man after the, after the flesh anymore, but know every person after the Spirit. That means I'm not to know you according to your outward appearance. I'm not really to know you just as according to your deeds or what you do in the body and the flesh. I don't know you that way anymore. Paul says, know each person as a new creation in Christ. See them in the Spirit as they really are. Speak to them as they really are. Prophesy to them as they really are. Call out the real person from that person. Call them out in terms, terms of call them out. I mean by that, say, come forth, son of God and daughter of God. See, true prophecy calls forth what is. That's why it's encouraging and edifying because it, it speaks to the invisible, unseen reality of what is. And when you see an unbeliever who does not have the life of Christ, you just, you don't expect him to live any differently than someone who doesn't have the life of Christ. So you should never be shocked by anything they do. God's not shocked. They're dead, spiritually dead, blinded. Satan has their way with them, the scripture says, under the bondage of the evil one. We know all the world lies in the power of the evil one. So don't be shocked by what unbelievers do. Help them see Christ. Accept them by grace. Point them to Christ that they might be born of the Spirit. So even the unbeliever we know not after the flesh anymore, but after the Spirit. So we see in the unbeliever we see no Spirit. We see no life. As the apostle said, some people have not the Spirit. Some people have not the Spirit of Christ. So you even know the unbeliever after the Spirit by realizing that they don't have the Spirit, and you, realize, and you look at the believer as one who has the Spirit and who is a complete new creation in Christ. You know, and just, just to close out here, just practically uh, had people ask me, like, well, how does this, what does this look like in your daily life? I mean, you, you, when you, you're walking this out in your daily life and you sin, you, you mess up, what does it look like? What do you, how do you handle that? And I would say, for instance, say, 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 you're, um, say you're tempted to, um, to cheat on your taxes. You don't, want, you don't want to pay as many taxes. You know, tax day is coming up, April 15th, right? So you don't want to pay on your taxes. Uh, you, don't want to, you don't want to pay everything, so you, so you kind of want to cheat on that a little bit. So you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it. I, I can't afford it. And, justify it by, you know, this, this government's corrupt and Caesar doesn't need all my money. And then you start feeling like, you know, this isn't right. I shouldn't do this. Um, what you're feeling is not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Number one, what you're feeling is not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The phrase conviction of the Holy Spirit does not appear anywhere in the, the New Testament, in the Scriptures, except in reference to convicting the unbeliever of their sin because they believe not on Jesus. 
So conviction of the Holy Spirit is not for the believer. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is for the unbeliever because they believe not on Jesus and they are guilty. They're guilty in, just like we were once guilty in our sins. The word conviction is a legal term. The word conviction means you've been adjudicated guilty. Conviction. We got a conviction. You've been adjudicated by a court of law that you are guilty as charged. You, as a saint, as a son and daughter of God, are never guilty as charged. Never. For there is therefore now no condemnation if we were in Christ Jesus. There's no guilty verdict if you're in Christ. So there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit. So we have to stop talking like that. We, we need to talk like the apostles talked. The apostles never said that a Christian should be convicted of the Holy Spirit. Never. Never. Why are we talking in ways that the apostles did not talk? Because our thinking is wrong. So what happens? So what happens when you feel that bad feeling, you know, that, or you feel like this is not the right thing to do? Well, one verse says that we can bring sadness to the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit of God. We can bring sadness. So sometimes when we walk after the flesh, there's a sadness there. And the, and the sadness is not condemning. It's the sadness of the Spirit that simply says, I can, I can take care of that. You're afraid that you're not going to have enough money. I can take care of you. You're afraid you're not going to have enough money, so you want to cheat on the taxes, and I can provide for you. There's a sadness of a bridegroom to a bride that says, I can take care of you. You don't have to do that. So there's a, sometimes there's a sadness of the Spirit that says, you don't have to do that. I can take care of you. I can, I can, I can heal you. I can do whatever the need is. So sometimes that happens, and then sometimes it's just there's an awareness. There's an awareness. As you and I are beginning to know who God is and what He's like, we know He's not someone who lies. And, and so when we, when we are about to lie by cheating on our taxes, we, we, just, we're, are, we are become aware that this is not like my father. Again, it's not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's just like, this is not like my dad. I don't want to do this. And then this is where repentance comes in. The word repentance is not a bad word, but all it means is change your mind just means change your mind. So you change your mind and you go, you know, this is, this is really not right. This is not like my dad. And I'm going to trust him to take care of me and I don't need to cheat on my taxes. I'm going to change my mind about this. I'm not going to do that. So you fill out the line properly and pay the right tax and you know God's going to take care of you. That's all it is. Repentance just change your mind. It's not a big deal. In terms of how religion makes re repentance the answer, the of everything, for everything is repentance. No? In fact, Paul was talking about, in Romans 7, how he was doing the very thing he hated. He goes, the very thing I hate I'm doing, the very thing I don't want to do I do. You realize in that whole discussion about a struggle with sin, he never mentions the word repentance once. Not once. Not in Romans 6, not Romans 7, or Romans 8. Nowhere around, nowhere close. Does he mention the word repentance? Why? Because a man who hates what he's doing has already changed his mind. If you hate what you're doing, you've already changed your mind. You don't want to do it. You're struggling with the power that's bringing you in there. You don't need repentance. That's why Paul didn't say you need to repent because he said, I hate what I'm doing. He goes, I will to do the right thing, but I end up doing the wrong thing. He, his will said I wanted to do the right thing. His emotion was there. I hate it. He had the will. He had the motion. He had the, uh, 
he had the emotion. He had in his mind, he had the right knowledge that it was wrong. He had in his mind, his will, and his emotion. There's the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotion was, I know what's right. I agree with what's right. I want to do right, and I hate that I'm not doing right. He's all three of them kicking in there, the new soul kicking in. He doesn't need repentance, and that's why he never mentioned repentance. What he needed was a renewal of the mind. So we can see, so he could see who he really was. So the spirit could fill him and put to death the deeds of the body. So then what I do, when I sin and I screw up, mess up like that, I just, you know, and, and maybe you don't repent right away. Maybe you don't change your mind right away. But God is working in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It, sometimes it takes time. God is very patient. Look at the apostles. They messed up around him all the time. He never kicked them out. And he'll never kick us out because it's a process of us learning how to live by him. And then what I do is I just thank God that I was already forgiven for the taxes I cheated on last year. See, say it took a year for me to change my mind. Maybe, maybe I've been cheating for three years, and I finally, you know, this is not right. So I just thank him that I've, always, I've been forgiven for, all, I'm forgiven for all that, and I'm forgiven for even wanting to do it now. I mean, so you thank God. You remember that you were already forgiven. Remember, all our future sins are already forgiven. And contrary to religious thinking, this doesn't make you want to sin more. I mean, in the last few minutes we've been sitting here, has this awesome reality, this truth of God's grace and love made you just want to go out and sin? Are you thinking like, hot dog, man, I'm going to get out. I'm going to do some sinning today. Of course not. The mystery of God working in you, we're drawn. You're like a helium balloon that's held to the earth by these ropes. It is your nature, your divine nature. You, you default to the heavenly, not the evil. We used to default to the evil. You now default to the heavenly. And when the ropes are cut, you automatically move up. You, you automatically ascend because that's who you are. And just, just to close here, practically what, what I do a lot, and I think it's really, really important, and I think it's a lost art in the body of Christ, what, I, what, I, what God has taught me to do a lot is, is to ponder. People don't ponder anymore. They've got their earphones on with the music. They've got their phones texting. They've got the TV, the movies, the videos radio, noise in the house, business, workplace, traffic. The enemy wants to just wear you down, wear you down, where you cannot be still and know that he is God. Huge, huge, huge thing. We need to chew the cud. We need to chew the cud. We need to ponder these things. Jesus said it this way. He said, let these things sink down into your ears. That implies it takes time. Sink down into your ears. I like the way he said that. He said, let them sink down into your ears. Very powerful, a very simple thing that if you would take more walks and get alone and ponder what the Spirit is saying about these things, if you would watch a sunset every now and then, a sunrise every now and then. When's the last time you looked at the stars? 
Think about that. When's the last time you looked at the stars? So busy on earth. And then one person over here is just looking up. Wow. Abraham, look at the stars. You are big. The things that have been created reveal him. The invisible things of God, Romans 1, the invisible things of God that we cannot see with our natural eyes are clearly seen and understood by the things that have been made. Job said, speak to the earth and it will teach thee. Jesus said, behold the lilies of the field. Look at those flowers. Look how God arrays these flowers. Will not your heavenly Father array you with the clothes you need? Have you looked at this bird? This is Jesus. They neither sow nor reap yet their father feeds them. The son came to unlock the hidden revelation of the father that is in everything around us. Everything that is made reveals him. Even the seed speaks of the Christ. Jesus didn't take the seed as a good example. Oh, that'll be a good example of my death. No, the seed was made for him. The whole, the whole botanical world was made to reveal the spiritual reality of, the, of death and resurrection and how the plants receive their energy from the light, photosynthesis. We call it photosynthesis like, it's some, like we did some big deal by putting a name on it. God did this. God did this as a picture of receiving revelation, turning inside the green plant's glucose creating inside the, lim- the limbs so the plant can feed and water. and It's all there. But you know what? If we don't ponder these things, if we don't let these things grow in us, we can forget the things that we hear as fast as we hear them. The two wings of the great eagle, the scripture talks about the two wings of the great eagle. The great eagle in the book of Revelation speaks of the Holy Spirit. The two wings, I believe, of the great eagle are revelation and remembrance. Revelation and remembrance. The Spirit is given to bring to remembrance all that Jesus has taught. The Spirit is given to bring remembrance all that Jesus has taught, and the Spirit reveals what Jesus has taught. But the Spirit shall reveal all that belongs to me, Jesus said, and now to you. But it takes time, it takes pondering, it takes gathering with believers to be reminded to share our faults, our weaknesses with each other so we can pray for each other as we're learning how to walk in this journey as a new creation. All those things, it's perfect. God made it perfect. But it's simple, but it's profound. Jesus calls us out of the boat that's sinking, out of our own ideas about how to keep this boat afloat. 
and calls us to come to him walking on water. It's a picture of the Christian life. The prophet said, call unto me. Call unto me, says the Lord, and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the the life we have in you. You said, call unto me. Call unto me and I will answer you. I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. Lord, help us to see these great and mighty things that we might walk in simplicity and walk in peace pondering these great things as your life is manifested through us. What a mystery. For we were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet, not us, but Christ lives in us. And the life we now live in these bodies, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.